What is up? I am Miguel Antonio, and this is the Live and Create podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. On today's episode, we have Andrew Bailey. He's a singer, songwriter, and guitarist, and he shares his story and his journey of becoming confident in his own skin as an artist and what that looked like for him and the great people that he got to play alongside who helped mentor and grow him up. He also shares his story of, of the things he witnessed and the things his friends witnessed during the summer of 2020 during BLM protests in Omaha, Nebraska, and those experiences and the injustices that he witnessed and he saw ultimately led to him writing and recording a song called Fuck the OPD. From there, we we jump off into conversations of systemic racism and, and really seeing how our lives everywhere is impacted by racism and the history of, of this country and, and discussing what are the things that we could potentially do to, to dismantle those things ourselves. Uh, it's a great conversation. It has some great insight, and you're going to love it. The Live and Create Podcast. I've really I've been digging into the podcast and I've really been enjoying it. That's one thing kind of Thanks, like man. a dirty little secret from my life is that I don't consume a ton of music. Um, but <laughs> I feel you actually <laughs> I've listened to so many podcasts. Oh, my God. <laughs> so. I actually it's weird because I almost have to force myself sometimes to listen to music because most of my days are spent somehow learning something new or it's like when music becomes your job sometimes you just when I want to veg out I just want to put on like a hour or two hour long podcast and just hear different stories so I I actually feel you on that but thank you man for listening were there were there any episodes that jumped out to you where you, you um, really connected uh, with it? oh man and I can't I can't remember the name but um the gentleman you had on who was talking about um uh, doing what, what was he doing marathons and um, and also uh, uh, has a, an insurance business and also does music and I, right. I man I, I can't remember but um, uh, yeah he he uh, his story was was super relevant and I just found really inspiring being in small town Kansas and and having the uh, you know the the Black Lives Matter uh, on his on his windows and just like right being yeah that's at TJ okay TJ yeah 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 that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I really enjoyed that one especially that's all, that's cool to hear because that ended up being one of the longest podcasts of of the series and uh, I remember getting to the end and we were both like oh damn that much time has gone by but it was so good <laughs> but yeah his his story was really really inspiring I'm I'm glad you connected with that and yeah, yeah he's still yeah. fighting the good fight and and treading on like like you said the the midwest like vibe because it's like some i we just moved out of the city into more rural community and it's just a weird place you know yeah <laughs> and and a yeah. weird place to to walk like this line of challenging people and then figuring out how do i like there's times where we're like shit by saying this are we becoming targets too and sometimes that feels weird and scary i don't know well. i don't know what that's like at all i have no idea Right. I, I just released a, I just released a single in January called Fuck the OPD. So Yeah. <laughs> Fuck the OPD. You're living in the Midwest and and here you are trying to challenge like the system in in a really uh I imagine very conservative world. I, I've only been through Omaha kind of I think we played uh do you know a place is maybe I'm thinking of Lincoln, but Fremont, Nebraska. Yeah, Fremont Fremont is a town. Um kind of I want to say northwest of Omaha maybe by about 40 miles um 
so yeah uh there's there's some good people from fremont um right. i know of a good venue there uh that actually just closed during the pandemic which sucks but um, that's probably where we played uh tammy yeah, was the owner yeah there. the corner bar yeah yeah, yeah tammy's yeah. who i'm thinking of yeah she's great <laughs> She ended up being a great pickup gig on different tours, especially like East Coast. We come back in and hit that like one of our last stops and come back home. It's like, oh, we got a little extra money at the end of the time. And uh, everyone was super cool there. But but yeah, let, let's go and start there, though. So fuck yeah. the <laughs> fuck the OPD. Um, you you released this now. It's probably been, what, two months? Yeah, we released right? it on uh, January 21st. Um, and we did that because I just felt like 120-121 felt good. Um, and I hadn't released anything since 2019. Um, mm -hmm. so kind of a little background about me. Uh, I've, I, I you know, I, I had bands coming up in Omaha. Um, I had a band called the jazz holes back in the day, um, that, that I guess I could say I was a band leader of, but it was really definitely more of a collaborative thing. And so all of those guys are like my musical brothers. Um, the keyboardist, uh, who's getting some notoriety right now, uh, Nick Simrad, it was, was also a part of that. Um, nice. And so the, the, there were a bunch of us from that group that ended up in New York within two years of each other. Uh, and okay. now we're kind of all spread out. A couple of us are back here. One, uh, the, the drummer just moved back, Matt Arbeiter. Um, and so that's really, really a cool thing for the Omaha scene. But um, so I was a side man when I was in New York for the most okay. part. You know, I led some gigs as well and I did my own thing, but I really wasn't focused on my artistry. I moved there because in, in 2012, because I just, I wanted to exist amongst, you know, kind of what was going on there. And, and, you know, that was a relatively naive point of view, but that I recognize, but, but I think it's also on, on one hand, kind of hard to look backwards on your life and not feel like you were naive at kind of every decision. And I, I hope <laughs> I feel to feel you. that way in five or 10 years about what I'm doing now, you know, because uh, we keep so, growing and expanding our knowledge and our own understanding of the world and ourselves. Yeah, I feel yeah, you. Man. Yeah, that's what and, it should really should be. So so you know, yeah, I moved I moved there and and, um, you know, kind of lived hand to mouth for a while. And actually through um, knowing uh, my musical brothers um, from the jazz holes, Nick Simrad, uh, especially, um, I, I ended up getting some opportunities um, and and getting different gigs and then just kind of fell into uh, this kind of like church scene. And that's kind of weird because okay. I'm not religious at all. Um, but but uh, <laughs> so non-religious dude playing in the church world. Yeah, you know, I and imagine that's, an and interesting that's, endeavor. <laughs> it's actually super common, especially for guitar players, you know, uh, yeah. because you know, it's it's a business. Let's not kid ourselves. That's a business like anything exactly. else. They need you know, quality talent. And if they, you know, there were some places that felt like, you know, I could, I could lend a hand. So I started playing at this church in East New York, Brooklyn, um, the third stop from the end uh, on the L train. And I did that for a couple years. And then I fell in with, um, with a guy named Jay White, who is an incredible uh, bassist and singer who's now based out of Nashville, but he was in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, and through that, I met Corey Henry, um, who uh, is, the, is a great, keyboard player, uh, organist, um, uh, who from snarky puppy at the time. Um, oh, wow. and then okay. he, he split off and did his own thing uh, that he called Corey Henry and the funk apostles. And I was just kind of in the right place at the right time to be the worst musician in the room, uh, which was incredible, <laughs> which was great. And you know, frankly though, like to be in a room with cats like that, and you're the worst musician, you're still, you're still doing way better than a lot of other people at that. I'm point, not, I'm know? not, uh, you know, that is not a way to denigrate myself. I'm not being, um, self-deprecating at all uh, when right. I say that 
I'm legitimately proud of the fact that I was able to at least to some extent check my ego. Um, I, I tried to learn the lessons that I really needed to learn and, you know, be able to do that. And, and that's where a lot of my touring experience came from. Um, and just that that crew of people knowing those musicians in New York, you know, um, uh, they kind of help each other out. I, I got to mm -hmm. got the experience to work with Lauren Hill once, um, which wow. was really cool. She walked in That's the room awesome, and was man. like, uh, had her guitar and she was like, here, tune this. And I was like, yes, Miss Hill. Yes, <laughs> so, yes, I will. <laughs> no, but uh, uh, it was it was a really amazing experience. And then once once I realized that I wanted to do my own artistry, um, I moved to rural Maine where my parents live and commuted between there and New York to produce my first record nice. that I released um, under my own name uh, entitled Wasteland. And I released that in... Um, 2019 and um you know did a little touring from that um and and just just kind of uh uh fell into the um i moved back to omaha in 2018 um oh, okay. because from my, maine my mentor yep from maine at that point i spent a little time in maine but, but you know you can't live with your parents forever so um <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so, so you know it's kind of like it's 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 it is a little weird you know having having moved myself across the country three times in the last 10 years but um especially i, I imagine a, a transition from being in such a, a cultural and artistic hub as new york uh, or New York City, and then back to Omaha, which actually, I, my understanding is there is a really cool scene there, at least from what I've had people share in the past, but it's hard to take, it's hard to compete with what New York City is. And, well, there's a great and, scene here, and, and part of the decision to move back really had to do with, you know, first off, I knew I wasn't going to be in New York forever. I love New York. I felt like a New Yorker when I was there, you know, I was there for about five years. Um, but at the same time, I am a Midwestern at heart. I, I was born in Cleveland and, and kind of a transplant. So I grew up there uh, until I was about 12. And then my family moved out to Omaha. And, um, you know, it was just it, it was one of those things where I didn't know I was going to come back to Omaha, but I spoke with my mentor. His name is Dana Murray, um, and mm. he's he's an amazing jazz musician. Um, not, and to call him a jazz musician does him a disservice because he's way more than that. But he's a drummer. I studied with him for years, and he was like the guy that was in my ear, like, "Yo, get your ass to New York, motherfucker." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and it was it was exactly what I needed to hear at the time. Um, but but you know, in talking to him, he had just built a studio. Um, where we in part produced uh, Fuck the OPD. Um, uh, we recorded at uh, Make Believe, and then uh, we, we also did some work at, at Dana's studio, DM Group Studios. Um, and so, you know, just, just talking to him, and, and I am an educator as well, so that played a big um, part in me coming back here. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I like the idea of kind of just like posting up and being available to the younger cats, the up and coming musicians who want to draw from, you know, my limited experience, you know, and, and I recognize there's a perspective that you get, whether you grow up in Omaha or whether you grow up in even Kansas City. Now, that is not to say there's not incredible music in Kansas City. We all know this. There's, in, yeah. you know, amazing musicians. I think the person that connected us, Eddie Moore, 
Um, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, he's incredible. so incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 I remember I the first very... time sitting on stage with him, I don't know how I was sitting there playing guitar next to him. Cause I am guitar is not my strong suit. I, I'm more of a vocalist and songwriter and, yeah. uh, and a bass player didn't show up for the gig. It's actually, it's funny. You said playing at a church. Um, I was, I had a gig where I was getting paid to play at this church. Um, and the bass player didn't show up. He's like, oh, I'll cover both things. And he just sit there for like two seconds. And next thing you know, I'm like, oh, we didn't need a bass player. We're fine. This dude <laughs> yeah. is killer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but but yeah, Eddie's Eddie's amazing. I've met some really incredible cats from from down there. Um, uh, Dominique Sanders comes to mind. You know, he's doing some, some great things. He's a bassist. He was working with um, Robert Glasper and um, oh, wow. okay. uh, uh, Terrace Martin. Uh, uh, recently, uh, and I think he might be in LA now, but, but anyway, what I'm trying to say in my, you know, as I, as I digress, uh, what, and I what digress I'm, to I'm, other places too. I, you're, I don't even good. know if I you're use good. that word correctly. So but anyways, <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I just digressed inherently. So I'll misuse words too. Um, it, it really behooves any serious musician to go to a place where that is a cultural hub and the unique thing about mm -hmm. new york even still today and obviously it's changed because of the pandemic so i can't really speak on that but when i went um you know you would hear about the bad old days in the 90s and before and and all of that and i don't know what that was i can't speak to that experience but my experience was on any given night you could go to one of these clubs uh and it didn't even have to be in manhattan there were so many places in brooklyn uh, and and different parts of the city mm -hmm. and you could literally see world-class musicians on a Monday, you know, on a, actually right. Monday was a great night for music because that was the night that all the musicians who were doing like the wedding gigs and the, and, and, and like the other artist gigs that they had, um, you know, all the other sidemen like me, you know, they would actually get to go out and do their own gig a lot of times on Monday. Right. Um, and there was a great, um, uh, gig, regular gig that I would go and watch, um, at Rockwood music hall, um, with Jim Campolongo. And uh, uh, he was, he's just this guitarist. And th the way I categorize Jim, he's a Nashville cat. Um, uh -huh. And, and you know, he, he played some with Nora Jones and, and some uh, really, uh, I think, Bonnie Raitt and different different okay. uh, names here, not to drop all those names for him. But it gives he, great context, though, to understand where. Yeah, these folks he, come he's from. like, like a, he's a cat, you know, and, and he had this style that was like, it wasn't jazz. It wasn't rock. It wasn't um, uh, country. It was literally all three of those things, but it wasn't fusion, you know, huh. and, and, and he would, he would combine elements, um, and I'm making it sound like fusion, but it's really not. He would sometimes like combine, telling you, I swear. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> he would sometimes come, sometimes combine a lot of those elements within the same song, but they would live on their own. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. like he was trying to fuse them. It was like, that was just who he was and what came out. Um, and he, uh, Josh Dion is an amazing, uh, drummer that, that actually played on my record wasteland. Um, nice. I was very fortunate to have him and then Chris Morrissey on bass. Uh, and it was a trio and it was every Monday night at 10 o'clock Rockwood stage two. Um, and it was just like this religious experience. And it was, you could tell it was the music they really wanted to play. Right. Um, so you would just have cats like that. And that's, just like living and existing among that stuff just really raised my game up because and, and you you don't even realize it it's almost like osmosis because you're so focused mm -hmm. on like 
somebody, especially when you first get to New York or, or, or somewhere like that, you know, you might meet some people and you get a call. Hey, here's the 40 songs we might do for this gig. There's no rehearsal, by the way. And you know, like the last And you won't call get a cats. call back if you fuck it up, you know? Well, well, that's the thing. Like the cats, they would call last, you know? And I'm not saying they're bad musicians. They're, they're Everybody's really good. And that's the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, you knew the cats that they would call that would be their last choice on that gig would show up and like, they would know every bridge. You know, they would really, they would know the specific parts all the way through every song. And so there was this like huge learning curve and, and you don't realize what existing among th that type of thing does for you. So that was I, just, you know, great experiences, incredible learning experience. And that's, that's kind of touring with, with Corey Henry and the Funk Apostles um, was also just this kind of next level experience that that I was able to learn from all of those guys. And and um, part of that was really learning to be myself because it's like, hey, you got you got called on this gig because you're you. You sound like nice. you. You don't sound like a Berkeley cat. You don't sound like um, Isaiah Sharkey <laughs> or whoever, you know. Um, uh, and, and then you I would also sometimes see Corey and 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 some of these other guys just like playing with some of these great musicians that some great guitarists that were just like way better than me. I could never play like that. I could never sound like that, but it's cool because I've got my thing, you know, what, and what was, was it that, was there anything in particular that helped you settle into that confidence to just to say like, this is me and this is how I'm going to present my art. And well, I think in it starts with any rhythm. context. Everything is rhythm. And, and I did study with a drummer. Uh, so that helped. And and the first thing uh, I remember Corey really saying to me, and it was in a rehearsal with Jay White, ironically enough, in a church. Uh, and and there was no drummer. There was no drummer. The gig was uh, Jay White on bass and vocals, Nick Simrad on keys, um, and talk about a monster musician, you know, good enough to be uh, in Corey's band playing the same instrument as him. So that's like crazy. Um, and, and Corey Henry on organ. And uh, I remember Corey uh, getting up and kind of dancing around the room a little bit, coming back and just like after the first song, being like, oh, man, we're all drummers because they <laughs> are drummers. They Corey's a drummer. Jay White's a drummer. Nick, Nick and I looked at each other and we're like, no, we're not. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, man, it feels like we're all drummers. So that was like the the first thing that really um was primary uh, in, in that situation and in all situations, you know, rhythm is just everything. And if you don't have your rhythm together, like way better than you think you need to, that is the first thing to work on, you know? Um, so learning to be myself was, was the next big step and learning to know that that was enough. Um, that really propelled me to a place where I was much more comfortable in my own skin and and much more comfortable being my own artist so getting back to fuck the opd <laughs> it all comes full circle all yeah, these yeah, yeah. things <laughs> uh, be, before we hit there so it's yeah. interesting yeah, like yeah, hearing yeah. you hearing you do the the church stuff because so like for me i actually used to be a full-time arts director at like a multi-site church uh left that world eventually like completely like i'm i'm an atheist now like all sorts of weird things sure. but then it's funny i i met Eddie, because a friend of mine who's still in that world started hiring me <laughs> and like, I'm suddenly back in that world. I'm like, yeah. this is so weird now as, 
as a someone who thinks completely differently now, but it was a paid gig. So I was like, shit, I'm, I'm going to be here and let's do this. We all got to eat, man. We all got to eat. And I'm, I learned about this whole world that like what you were kind of sharing where where all these professional musicians are, are they're like Sunday morning gig. Yeah. You're going to pay me. Let's, <laughs> let's do this <laughs> Sunday morning, Wednesday night. <laughs> Ooh, there you go. Mixing yeah. up maybe a Sunday yeah. night every once in a while, but anyway, so, so full circle, you, you have, taken this incredible journey throughout your life, settling into who you are. Um, you go, you see a lot of the world, uh, meet a lot of different people. You come back home. A sliver. To Omaha. Yeah. A sliver, right? You come back home to Omaha and and you, now fuck the OPD comes out, but there's the stories that lead up to it. And so I'm well, curious and that's, yeah, what that I, looks like. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at here is, is learning to be myself, help me understand that I can't censor my um, artistry, if you will, because of what, because of being afraid of what people might think. Um, so we all know that in most of the major cities in the country, there were protests after George Floyd was murdered. And obviously we know, I would hope everybody knows that's listening to your podcast that, um, there, there is an insane list of people, um, uh, mostly people of color, who were killed at the hands of the police in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also know that there's no accountability around that. So May 29th, there was a protest in Omaha at the uh, busiest intersection in Omaha, uh, 72nd and Dodge. Um, my partner, uh, Katie, who is an incredible person, um, said uh, she she was going, and uh, I was I had this like feeling in the pit of my stomach, and it was just like this is you know I I agree with the message, it, but but this this protest isn't for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna so I sat that one out. I stayed home on May 29th, and I I, I wasn't ready for what it was actually going to be, you know. Um, and I saw some live streams. Uh, my friend uh, Morgan Freeman, um, and not not the famous not Morgan the Freeman, Morgan but, Freeman, but... <laughs> Morgan uh, Morgan with two ends at the end. Uh, and she's I'm going to shout her out because she's um, uh, an incredible person. Um, she's an incredible friend, um, and uh, she is very active in the community. Um, so I was watching her live stream, and I saw what went down. I saw tear gas. I saw police, um, you know, beating people. I saw, I saw a lot of brutality and I was like, Oh shit, my partner is there. Hmm. Like I felt like the biggest piece of shit for not going. And she got back and she smelled real spicy with that tear gas. And, and, um, she said, there's another one tomorrow. So she's going. I have to go now. So I went and I saw with my own eyes what what really happens. Um, so I saw a thousand people standing in a parking lot in front of a Target on 72nd and Dodge holding signs. Some of them were shouting at the police. You know, people weren't really happy with what had happened the night before. Right. Um, and I saw a bunch of stormtroopers with no um, badge numbers no accountability being bust in by by the um the public buses 
Um, and and I saw I saw a line of tear gas behind the the crowd. So I'll paint the scene a little bit. The, there's there's obviously four sides to the intersection. So most of the people were um, were in front of the Target on 72nd and Dodge. I was across the street. There were some other people across the street. And so my point of view was I wasn't in that, but I was watching. And mm -hmm. I saw with my own eyes for the first time what really happens. And and you know you can watch videos. You can see it uh, online. But there is something that happens when, um, you know, in full disclosure, um, I, I'm, I, I don't like using this term because I know the history of, of um, you know, how whiteness is a, is a uh, it's a made up thing, you know, nobody's really white. But in our society, you know, we, we have white people. So I, I, I happen to come from a long line of Ashkenazi Jews, um, you know, and a lot of, lot of my family was killed in the Holocaust. My grandmother escaped from Poland in 1935 at the age of eight. Um, and we were very lucky um, that, that her, her father was from London and had a British passport and was able to, able to bring her over. Uh, they were also the right color to get the loan, uh, the uh, mortgage for their house in 1952. So that's a generation wow. later. Um, so, you know, I think that's a that's a um, an indictment of white supremacy more than it is um, uh, uh, anything else. So anyway, um, from my perspective, seeing this with my own eyes really changed things for me. And not that you know, again, I, I, I it's not like I was callous before this, but it does something to you. Mm -hmm. So this happens. People are people are beaten, bloodied, um, and then they decide to go downtown and protest in front of the police headquarters. Well, there was a bar owner that I knew uh, by the name. You know what? I'm not going to say his fucking name because fuck that guy. Uh, but he owned a bar in Omaha that no longer exists. And it was downtown. And he went down with four of his friends and they staked out the place. They were told not to be there. He was pretty much, they were just had guns drawn. They had somebody, um, all of this came out later. They had somebody on the street that was scoping it out for them, talk, talking about line of sight. He was an ex-Marine too. I know that uh, Marines don't like to be called ex-Marines, but right. um, they can eat a dick. <laughs> you know, he's an ex-Marine. He was, he, was, he was no longer active duty. So his windows got broken uh, by some, by nobody knows who did it. Um, and, and we all know that there were also, there was also an element of anarchist culture, mostly white kids. Um, uh, but, but people from all walks of life, probably that were both and on both sides of the political spectrum that were using this as an opportunity to just create chaos. So we don't the people know. people who want to burn it down. Exactly. They, they just want to burn the whole fucking world down. They, they attach themselves uh, and people, like this. because of that, people, yeah, people equate that with BLM or whatever. And it's like, that's not, it's not accurate, but, um, you know, the windows got broken, him and his dad go on the street. They start saying terrible things, uh, throwing around racial slurs. And this, this gentleman, James Scurlock was, um, uh, with a, with a small group of friends and they were just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it was an altercation. I mean, when you say the N word to somebody, you know, you, you expect to start a fight, right? Right. You know, um, and so that's what's happening. Uh, there's like lots of witnesses. Um, the the bar owner had a gun. He he fired off um, what the police called uh, um, 
uh, uh, warning shots, which I guess mm-hmm. you can do when you're white. They call them warning shots and not. Wow. He was an active shooter. So yeah. um, James Scurlock jumped on his back and tried to disarm him and was killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shot him Jeez. through the neck. Um, and hearing about this, um, knowing the person that did it, having played at his club before I went to New York, uh, a regular gig, having partied with him, learning about his background and his father's background uh, in white supremacy. Uh, his dad was um, was uh, uh, radicalized in prison in the 70s uh, through the crazy. Aryan Brotherhood, I believe. Um, finding out later that uh, this gentleman um, was a proud boy and a member of Identity Europa. Um, it just made me sick. Made me sick right. to my stomach. Um, knowing what he did and knowing how easily that situation could have been avoided. Um, and then that's what this whole season, the really the last four years has been such an eye opener to see people mm-hmm. that I know, even people in my own family. Like I've, I have family that is darker skinned Puerto Ricans who want to join the proud boys. And it's like, it's, it's been such a, like pulling the curtain back and seeing who the fuck people really are as it's been disheartening in some levels, then some people surprise me in a good way. Uh, but, but that whole thing of like, man, like it's almost like there's a line was drawn and, and people started choosing and we started finding out real quick who people really are. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. And so you have a police department that didn't initially arrest, um, the, the perpetrator. Um, you have a, um, uh, a, a, a county prosecutor, who refused to do his job, called it self-defense. Um, you know, of course, they edited a video. There was a, a, a cell phone video, but there were plenty of witnesses that weren't canvassed that that had to really seek out, right. you know, the the OPD to to uh, tell their story of what they saw. Um, they didn't want to hear it. Anybody that had um, anything from that deviated from the official line, they didn't want to hear about it. Um, it took, uh, I think, a hundred thousand signatures. Uh, something like that on on a petition to convene a grand jury. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, and they eventually convened a grand jury. Um, uh, so James Scurlock was killed on May 30th of okay. 2020. There were protests um, continuing. And then um, on July 25th, I believe, what was that? Um, I had I had the, the 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 date in my head and and I I think it was July 25th. Um I could be wrong on the exact date. There was a protest um in a march and they they marched from an area called Midtown Crossing uh to downtown and back. And when they were two blocks from their cars over a bridge um above the interstate, the police kettled them and they did the thing where they they blocked him off and said disperse, but there was nowhere to go. So they rounded up uh, 126 people, people that I knew, people that were friends of mine. I was planning on being there. I had a gig that night, so I ended up hearing about this on the way back from the gig. It didn't seem like anything that was going to be, um, you know, any dramatically different than anything else that had gone on. Um, right. But it was a mass arrest instant, I- I- incident. And the police were trying to make a point. Mm-hmm. They pepperballed everybody. 
I mean, after zip tying them, uh, they beat people up. They put them in on the hottest day of the year. They put them in buses, drove them down, refused to process them, kept them uh, in a parking garage uh, uh, under the facility, uh, under the corrections facility. Um, no water, you know, uh, they, they, um, when somebody was having muscle spasms, uh, with, with the, um, zip ties, mm -hmm. instead of loosening them or putting them in a different position, uh, one of the officers just tightened it as, as much as it would go. Um, and this is a person that was, that was throwing up because of the muscle spasms that she was having. Um, and, 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 and it just, it was a torture situation. And I mean, they did things like lost paperwork. Um, they, they didn't, they, they refused, um, NLC, Nebraska left coalition who would come in and, um, pay people's bail. They refused that, you know, they would only, they That's were only crazy. letting people out if their families came in and paid them because they knew that they were wealthier. Um, and they, they kept people in cells without PP, uh, without PPE, uh, in, in cells designed for like 14 people, you know, 50, 60 deep. Um, wow. and it was a statement. I mean, Omaha police department tortured people, you know, yeah. and, and, and it, it, it doesn't matter that they do it every day. <laughs> you know, it was kind of eye opening. They do it <laughs> every day. It doesn't matter that it's normal, you know, but that hearing about that, and hearing the story of really one of my really good friends um, who I've known for a long time, uh, who was also arrested and, and hearing the stories from, from the other folks, many of which I knew, fuck the OPD kind of came out of me, you know? Yeah. And, and I wasn't planning on writing something like that. I didn't do it to be divisive. I did it because these assholes fucking tortured my friends, you know, and, and maybe, if I was from a different community, if my skin was a different color, I wouldn't be so shocked by that. But right. coming from my perspective, it was very shocking. And um, well, that you know, you hit it hit, hit close to that. home. Like I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, but I look like a white dude and mm -hmm. live my life like a white dude. I probably said this on the podcast often <laughs> when we talked about Good. these yeah. social yeah, justice yeah, yeah. issues. Because for me, I I just didn't think those things happen or existed. I didn't know that that was even a world. Uh, that that existed right to repeat myself a million times but it, it's hearing the stories of my friends of different minority groups and the things that they have experienced it, it's just blowing my mind where like you said where they're like oh yeah that happens all the time oh yeah, yeah. i deal with that all the time i've dealt like that since i was 14 and and for you to put this out there and to tell these stories and i think helps helps again pull back the curtain uh, for people who, who may not be in that paradigm. Well, and that was, you know, it was kind of, you know, my reconciliation with the, with the guilt that I felt over not being there, mm -hmm. you know, with the guilt that I felt over not being there on May 29th, I wasn't at every protest, you know, after, um, so in August, uh, my partner, uh, became pregnant. And so we're, we're expecting our first child on April 29th. Nice. Congrats, I'm not man. sure when this is, thank you. I'm not sure when this is dropping, but, um, it's, it's, it's about very, three and a half weeks out. Uh, it's on there, very so possible. It, I will be close. a father. I'll be a father when this drops, <laughs> Dude, you know, that's so, awesome. so, so we're trying to be very careful with the pandemic, um, obviously right. raging and, and, and people that are pregnant, uh, women that are pregnant are, 
you know, uh, their immune systems are more compromised and for six months after, and, you know, the baby has to develop an immune system. And all this to say, I wasn't at every protest. Um, but we need storytellers too. You know, we need, we need lawyers, you know, uh, uh, we need, we need representation. Um, and there are a lot of different people who aren't necessarily on the front lines of a protest who are doing things to try to advance, um, the cause of, um, you know, just, I, I, I come back to human rights. It's human rights, you know, right. it's basic human rights for everybody. And that was, that was the thing, you know, uh, after this happened, I just kept hearing the, uh, the words, you know, do not be confused when they tell the truth, they don't give a fuck about your life. Um, and, and, and it all, it, it just kind of started there. And I, I believe strongly in this idea of the antenna of creation. And that is the idea, obviously, legally, I own my music, you know, I copyright yeah. it, I, I, I'm a member of ASCAP. Um, you know, uh, we, we all have these worldly things that we have to navigate. And that's kind of, I think, being in my 30s now, that's that's part of life. <laughs> you know, right. you realize that you fight against it for as long as you can. Or <laughs> if you're smart, you don't. But, um, uh, but, but then in a more real sense, in a more personal sense, nobody really writes anything. You know, nobody sits down and says, I am going to write this thing. You know, um, it, it, it just it just happens and it's it comes from a different place. And I, I feel um strongly that that and this isn't an, an original idea by any stretch of the imagination um I, I go back to this tom waits idea and i'm sure it's not his original idea either but back to the antenna of creativity right yeah it's, yeah it's songs are, it's, it's like songs are songs are already created they're they're it's it's our job to channel that or to birth that you know um and and i think about Tom waits in the studio, like all the kids are in the van, right? You know, are you coming? All right. Well, <laughs> you well, know, that's so, uh, Stephen Pressfield, uh, the war of art. If you're familiar with that book, as the muse and it's a, I'm actually just started rereading it again. I probably reread it. I don't know how many times throughout my history and career, but he talks about the muse and he sees it as like a very, uh, very real thing, like almost like this metaphysical thing that he shows up for in every writing session uh, to tap into, you know, and yeah. uh, and even though I don't necessarily go that far to to believe it's like this real entity, it was such a helpful thing to understand because it is it when you write, sometimes it's like, where did this come from? Where did this thought, where did this idea come from? And and it, the idea of showing up and presenting yourself to the muse or mm -hmm. to this creative force that that you're now you said it's like now it's just your job to birth it i i think is a, a cool concept a beautiful concept you can you can build your antenna you know that's for real you know like it, it is something like that. that has to be worked on there are things you can do to help that process that do involve yourself but the actual act of channeling whatever that is you know, that's, that's not necessarily up to you at a certain point, you have to kind of let go of that. And, and that's, and that's what I come back to, you know, being true to my artistry, I can't, when something presents itself, I can't deny that that doesn't mean I have to release everything. But mm -hmm. um, it also means that if I wrote this song in a certain way, and I'm happy with it, and I and I and I like it, and it speaks the message that I want it to speak, I can I, I will have to release it that way, 
you know. Yeah. Um, and and just getting back to a point, you know, um, uh, I, I want to let you know, Miguel, I, I have podcasts, so I don't mm. need to read anymore, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's how it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I get little snippets of all random shit all the time through podcasts. That's that's all I need yeah. anymore. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But so for you, this again, this concept of being comfortable in your skin as an artist, and it sounds like even uh, the journey of being comfortable comfortable in your skin as a human, and it all it all like collides with the social movement that's beginning to happen that you witness and experience. And now you're able to put out this song, "Fuck the OPD." It with it sounds like with with confidence and with with the idea of to speak truth to power in a way. Um, what for you were there? Because and I've I've gotten this conversation with a it was actually one that just released like two days ago a guy named Nuv, um, and he is very he speaks a ton about social justice. He's a spoken word mm -hmm. artist, and we talked about that journey of deciding. Are you going to speak out on these things uh, or are you as artists, are you just going to not speak out about them and, and just manage your career? Because sometimes it can, in some instances, could tank your career. Um, did you wrestle with any of those things or for you, was it just, again, no. another step in that confidence? Um, this is, it's, it, you know, I have a stable career. Uh, even in the pandemic, actually, what the pandemic showed me was that I don't need to take all these restaurant gigs. I don't need to do any nice. gigs that I don't really want to do. Um, and 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 I do pride myself on being able to, you know, pre-pandemic, I was playing three and four hour gigs solo. Um, sometimes it's when in, during the busy season, sometimes, you know, five, six, seven nights a week, mm -hmm. you know, um, and and that kind of thing, I really pride myself on being able to do a few of those and not repeat anything, you know, um, which we're talking, you know, eight, nine hours worth of music, you know, and, and obviously, you know, a couple hours of originals. Um, and, and then I don't, I don't play top 40 charts. Um, it's not that I won't play a top 40 tune. I'll play a number one hit if I feel like it, but everything kind of comes back to, I just play songs that I like. And I really like that idea of, especially in Omaha, Nebraska, where I might be in the corner at some steakhouse or some shit. And, and I've had this happen before where people were like, you know, maybe not in a direct line of sight with me. And just like they would ask their server, what, what record are you guys playing? What CD is on or what, what playlist <laughs> is this? And they'd be like, oh, no, that's Andrew. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. <laughs> so I You're love like, Thank that. You. Thank you. I love that um, <laughs> that element of surprise of just being like, oh, we're just going to go get this meal in Omaha because everybody's about restaurant culture here. You know, the, the the general public, it's like a. I think we might have more restaurants per capita in Omaha than anywhere else on the planet. Um, yeah. I, I'm not 100 percent sure about that, but it's up there. Um, so, you know, just these people coming out and they, you know, they might listen to them and throw somebody under the bus. They might listen to their like Jimmy Buffett record or something. Just like I'm talking rich people tastes or whatever. Right. <laughs> not to not to hate on any artist or not to hate on any any sect of society, but just people that might not know any better. You know, might not consider themselves they haven't been music, exposed to right, more things. Music aficionados. Um right. And then they didn't know they were going to hear world-class music that night, but they right. did. And it might make them rethink, you know, what is 
what is my town? You know, I, mm. I didn't think we were in a cultural hub here, but I've seen over the years, somebody like uh, Dana Murray, who helped school me up and, and helped um, school a lot of my peers up. And it was really interesting leaving for about six years and coming back, seeing all of these kids that were 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, who were either studying with him in one way or another. Uh, he, he did, um, he, he directed uh, drum lines at a couple of the high schools around here. And he also had a winter drum line called Dojo. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was uh, a situation where I came back and I'm like, oh shit, all of these kids that grew up and now they're in their late teens, early twenties, and they've got all this information that like I got working. that made hustling. me go to New York and, and, <laughs> right. and it's, it's a microcosm, but it's possible for one person or a small group of people to raise the bar. And it's yeah. not only Dana. There are a lot of avenues like that. There's a lot more going on with the art scene in Omaha and not just music. Um, there's an incredible visual arts community. You know, we've got art, artists like Wadi White and Bart Vargas and um, Barber Flashback, uh, who actually just recently moved to Chicago. Um, but we have this really strong community. There's there's um, uh, the Union for Contemporary Arts in North Omaha, uh, which brings in artists like like a Barber Flashback. Um, and I recognize that maybe a lot of people listening to your podcast that, that know it through you probably don't know who these people are because right. they're in Omaha, you're, you're in Kansas City, or, or, or in, <laughs> uh, you're in Kansas City, right? Or yep, are you, Kansas City's uh, home. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, you know, so, but I'm sure, you know, Kansas City works like that. I'm sure there are parallel stories that they can relate to of just like yeah. some amazing musicians that went and got something from somewhere else or even kind of came up organically and then helped to raise the bar of the scene. And, you know, that can happen. And that and that, that's no small deal, you know, and and I think, um, you know, it's it's possible for that to happen. So these so these people that might come out and see me, you know, in some sort of restaurant situation um, that don't know what they're going to get them. Like, oh, my goodness. What do we have here in Omaha? They're Are like, we selling yeah. ourselves short? Are we nice? We're not really going out. We're not really <laughs> experiencing this. Maybe I should check more into the art scene. And nice. you know what? Maybe some of those people are on the fence and then they hear fuck the OPD. And yeah. and I I purposely crafted fuck the OPD as like a sexy groove, right? And and I and I love that that um Motown funk, you know, soul. Yeah. Um I'm a I'm I'm hugely influenced uh by a, a, a number of of great artists, but uh, one of the intersections that I'm, I'm really influenced by are, are artists like uh, Bill Withers, Al Green, um, you know, uh, 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 those those type of people, Tina Turner, um, yeah. you know, so so in crafting a groove like that, and then going with the title like <laughs> as as obscene as I can go, right, you know, I, that's not an accident. You know, maybe so, get someone nodding their head and they're like feeling the groove and they're like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute, this is an idea I may not have been ready for. Let me, what's going on? Yeah. You know, and, maybe and open sometimes, some eyes. Sometimes it'll take a few listenings, you know, especially if it's in a live situation uh, mm -hmm. and, and they don't have to click on something that says, fuck the OPD. You know, <laughs> they might. A little more open to it at that moment. <laughs> yeah. I guess my whole, I guess my whole point with, with that statement was. 
I know I have some people that listen to me that fall on the other side of the aisle. Um, and anytime we're talking about political left or right or whatever, we're talking about a two-dimensional thing that's trying to represent life. So we always have to take it with a grain of salt. But right. I'm talking about people that may be oblivious or, or you know, don't have any real respect for everyone's human rights. You know, um, they need to be made uncomfortable. And if you are into what I do and you get that message and you're uncomfortable, good. Yeah. You know? Well, and it, the idea of movement, what it is. movement comes from disrupting balance. It's like the only way you can walk is if you break your balance. The only way you can run is if you break your balance. And I think art can do that to people is they can shake them in ways that maybe they can, like you said, there's this groove that they might, it might bring them in, but then now you can shake them a little bit and maybe yeah. some movement can happen for people. And I, I think there's a lot of, uh, that's, that's why I love the power of music, power of art, the power, like even the visual arts, like how it can challenge people, but in a way that sometimes the typical person, maybe in a political debate, you know, at a pub one night, they would get really angry and storm out, but instead they can listen to this song and maybe like, I wonder, I wonder what the story is behind it. And I, I think that's the power, the power comes with the song. And then as well as you coming in and telling the story behind it, because again, like me, like I said, I, I just thought racism was over. And, and then you start to see like this other world that exists simply. And I, I'm ignorant to it. I was ignorant to it simply because I didn't live that life. So. Right. Right. And uh, you know, it, the Omaha police department has, um, surveilled some of my friends um there, it just actually came out um that they were surveilling um a, a friend of mine and there's been articles written about it so i can say it morgan freeman was surveilled heavily by the omaha police department wow um and if by releasing fuck the opd um they decide to keep tabs on me or they just decide to try to fuck my shit up well then that's one less black person or person of color that um that they're going to be able to fuck with you know so yeah. so it really i mean i don't know man we spent a lot of time talking about it but i think it's important no it's it's um, great um, that, that you're getting that story out there man and yeah I, and I it, it, it it needs to be told and 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 it's not more or less important than anything else that's going on um nationally or globally it's just our little slice of it you know um yeah uh, uh, there are people here, uh, and, and it's, it's not insignificant that, um, Omaha has been a blue dot now twice. We're one of Nebraska is one of two States, uh, I, Nebraska and Maine, ironically, that can split the vote. And mm -hmm. I actually voted in, in the last three presidential elections I voted in, I, I was in a state that split. So in 2008, <laughs> in 2008, we, we, uh, Omaha broke for Obama. Um, I, I was very disillusioned in 2012. I'll be totally honest. I did not vote in 2012. I was also a resident of New York at the time, so I didn't feel like it really mattered. I was gotcha. wrong, but but um, I was pretty disillusioned about things. Um, in 2016, I went up to my folks' place um, and I voted there. And unfortunately, their rural district uh, broke for Trump, uh, which was mm -hmm. awful. Um, but then in 20, uh, 2020, uh, uh, Omaha broke for Biden. So the last three times I voted in a presidential election, it's, it's been split, which is very strange. 
But Omaha you chose is, right. <laughs> Omaha, yeah. Well, yeah. I I you, voted you correctly. Placed all of those yourself times. in the right spots. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, now I'm curious so, for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the this idea of social change has it always been something that's been part of your life, or is it something that you grew into through all the different experiences and the touring and and all that? Well, I think I think we're we're only a culmination of our experiences. So, I, th- I mean, literally who we are is a story that we tell ourselves. And I had a great friend who I was uh, was an old hippie. Um, uh, he was actually in San Francisco at Haight-Ashbury in 69. Uh, wow. And he's he's no longer with us. He passed in 2013. But he was one of my great friends. His name was uh, Michael, uh, Michael Pryor, but he went by Mojo Poe. Uh, and um, he... He used to say, what's the first question you ask yourself every morning? And the answer to that question is, who am I? You know, I mean, really, who am I? You know, you don't remember asking yourself that, but on some level you do. Every time you wake up, you have to ask yourself, who am I? And then you remember and you become, you know, uh, conscious uh, in in the uh, awake world again. And um, we get to tell ourselves, you know, what we remember from yesterday and what, and those, and those experiences that shaped us and the trauma that we've, we've all experienced and, and all of those things. So yeah, we are literally a culmination, a story of the experiences that we've had throughout our life. Um, and, and yeah, like I mentioned before, I look back on myself, uh, in, in former years and decades and say, yeah, of, 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 of course I was naive about these things. Of course, now, was I ever, was I ever, uh, a, you know, a Republican for lack of better, a better way to, to, to shape that? Was I ever? It's become such I a ever dividing that line now. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, I was, I was raised by by people who who called themselves Democrats, and there are pitfalls in, in 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 the Democrats as well. Like it's not all right. roses, you know. It's not. I'm not going to pretend. <laughs> really, really, like it's that. not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. After seeing the like, last primaries, oh my God! There are but, yeah, that's there a whole other so podcast. Many, so many problems, <laughs> and and I, I actually don't consider myself a Democrat anymore, um, uh, uh, because again, it's a two dimensional thing. But that's the best way I can I can kind of shape this this point right now. Um, yeah, I always felt like I had empathy for people and human rights. Mm-hmm. Now, did I did I understand uh, uh, anything really? Like, no. Um, but I'm also a history buff, and I feel like I feel like knowing history is also really important. Knowing, um, for instance, uh, where police departments came from initially—that's an important thing. Knowing how they started in the South, in the North. Um, I listened to a podcast called "Behind the Bastards" with um, hmm. with a, a journalist named out. named Robert Evans, uh, who is incredibly informative and a kind of a walking bibliography. Um, and, and he did, uh, a six part podcast, uh, called behind the police. Uh, and hmm. he talked about, oh, where do we get police departments? And this is probably common knowledge to a lot of people, but a lot of police departments in the South that were started, um, in b- before emancipation, they were started as slave catching units. You know, yeah. if you look at, I don't know how Kansas city started, but I do know how St. Louis started, you know? St. Louis started as a slave catching unit and as an Indian catching unit or, or, or Indian fighting unit, right? And the, the use of dogs in Ferguson 
to this day comes out of that culture. And it doesn't mean that all police there want slavery or are racist. It just means that that culture has been handed down for generations. And if you think about it, you know, when was your, when, when were your grandparents born? God. My grandparents I, were born in the twenties. I'm not sure offhand. I was. I'm guessing was, mine would be the twenties. Yeah, I was. I was born in 1985. I'm 35 years old. My grandparents were born almost 100 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So that's three generations. We're talking maybe five or six generations ago. It's not really that long right. if you think about it in terms of, you know, how long people live and mm-hmm. generationally and 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 you know, the timeline that, uh, uh, people are brought into this world. So on that history, it, it provides the systemic like impact. And -hmm. that's what a lot of people I feel like still struggle to see. Like there, like you said, there's maybe not every cop in Ferguson is walking around saying, I want slavery back or even racist, but there's a systemic problem that, that just like has seeped into every single piece of what policing has been and, and like blow it all the way up to even how we work in America. Like you mentioned Kansas city, like we have, I don't know the history of the policing here in Kansas city, but I do know we have a hugely uh, problematic history when it comes to housing and, and racism. And like, there's a dividing highway, excuse me, a dividing highway that, that separates even to this day, races and demographic like from a poverty to to people who are affluent and it's it's still there to this day that people are trying to pick it apart and that systemic piece whether it's one-to-one from from people actually doing it now that systemic piece still exists and still needs to be dismantled i mean you think about you're totally right you think about the idea of generational wealth and i think about my grandparents and i think about the scores of people that were my ancestors that were murdered um, in in uh, the Holocaust, and how horrible that was, and how lucky my grandmother was to be able to be to, to come here because they almost left her with uh, with a w- somewhat well-to-do uncle and aunt, and it was thirty-five. Nobody knew how bad it was going to get, right. you know. But at the last minute, her mom couldn't leave her, and they found a way to get her here. Okay, and that was just because of a British passport. Other boats that were coming that that were um, had Eastern European Jews on them, they were turned around in New York Harbor. Yeah. We don't talk about that that much. We don't talk about the fact that in 1939, the Nazi Bund Party um, uh, had you know 20 or 30 thousand people at Madison Square Garden, and American flags uh, with swastikas on them were wow normal. i didn't even know that yeah, yeah. oh yeah we, we just like to tell the the savior stories <laughs> you know yeah. we went in and defeated them yeah. later uh, same when we so, think about like the native americans and what we did fascism was in vogue before <laughs> the, the 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 horrors of the holocaust was exposed and i say that to say this because a generation later in 1952 my grandparents were afforded the opportunity to have a mortgage in a place that was called Sheffield Lake, which was near Cleveland uh, in mm-hmm. in Ohio. And it didn't matter that they were the only Jewish family uh, in town. It didn't matter that my grandmother had actually, when she was 12 years old, looked out the window when her and her family were all old world Jews. And she looks out the window and she says, look at all these people walking around in Brooklyn. God's not striking them down. So she quietly and humbly renounced her religion, didn't mm-hmm. raise her family with it, never told her parents because it would have broken their hearts. But... Right. You know, they weren't religious. Still, it didn't stop kids in the neighborhood from saying to my grandfather, why'd you kill Jesus? 
and kids yeah. so young they couldn't have possibly known what that meant exactly. you know um it's uh, something I that just was handed this, down to them i say this to say because even out of all of that they were still afforded that mortgage and what happened my grandmother died when i was very young my grandfather um was around until 2002 and he used that equity to help my mom who was a single mom at that point they bought a house together in an area called cleveland heights where i grew up for 12 years with my grandfather on the second floor and my mom and i on the first floor it was a duplex but like a, a level duplex so it wasn't like townhouse side by side so when i think about that history and it's really the history of redlining when i think about that history i was afforded a happy and consistent and 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 you know we weren't rich we 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 lived hand to mouth i mean my mom um didn't make a ton of money but it was a stable childhood yeah. in in one house until we moved to to bellevue nebraska which is near omaha and that happy childhood that stable childhood was literally built from the equity that was afforded to my grandparents in 1952 with that mortgage that was not afforded to people of color exactly. to people in the black community and they were given um loans that were like a lot of times rent to own where if you missed mm -hmm. one payment or you were even late on a payment they could just kick you out of it and you would have nothing no equity to show for it um and 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 that was a decision that the banks made in the 30s you know yep. when when a lot of these um you know <clears throat> subdivisions started happening a white flight was maybe a little bit away but it was starting the seeds were being planted for that um and and i think a lot about that and i think a lot about generational wealth and i think about the families that still have um you know massive amounts of money that a lot of which was made on the backs of the american system of slavery you know exactly. um uh you can't if we're just a culmination of our experiences, you cannot, you know, say that, you know, everybody has a fair shake in America. The idea of the American dream is, is absolutely ridiculous. It's not that you can't make a lot of money if you have a great idea, but that's the exception. That's not the rule. The rule right. is not, the rule is not, um, you know, equity, you know, it's one thing to say we're all equal and it's equality and all of this stuff and, and all of this liberal, all of these liberal ideas that don't take into account, you know, the history and what us. has happened. Yeah. Reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but equity, you know, where is that equity that was afforded to even regular, you know, lower middle-class kid growing up in the eighties and nineties. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> many people, don't don't even have um don't come into the world with with that amount of equity and you know i'm obviously grateful for the decisions my grandparents made and it's not their fault it's an indictment of white supremacy and at the right. same time they were the right color to get that loan and that right. sticks with me i think about that a lot and that's why i think history is really important and not just the history of our country or atrocity is obviously important you know to study that kind of stuff and you know before uh watchman came out not many people knew about what happened in tulsa 
in right. nineteen. Actually, the beginning you know? of this whole podcast for me, my third interview was a guy named Eric Ryan Johnson. Uh, he's a musician out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was on tour. Mm. Uh, we actually, it was hilarious. I was on tour just getting coffee, and we struck up a conversation, found out he's this musician. We end up doing a thing in the Jazz Museum, record it, and there was a first time. And this was like two years ago. I'm 40. Two, wow. And it was the first time I was ever introduced to the Tulsa riots and to understand what it was because he understood that history. And he's like, it, he's like, it's literally right over the river is where it happened. And it blew my mind. Like you said, then the watchmen kind of bring it out um, to the culture as a whole. And, and it's like, it, those are the things that people need to contend with and accept. Yeah. And it, it seeps down all the way down to uh, this is like from a, from women's issues, like, down to the point where I, I had an interview just like two days ago uh, with a woman who's fighting for women in the literary world. And, and that, the, the concept of women are simply not even invited to the table just because it was kind of a men's club. And so, yeah. and, and then you see the same thing happening in race as well, where they didn't have those relationships with the bankers. They didn't have those relationships with the people who made the decision in codes and in the, to do building or investments. And, and so they have to, break through so many things, so many barriers that all too often other people don't. And, and, and it's a today. that people have to look at. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, today. one thing that really sticks with me is like, we, we, it's, it's like that equality versus equity thing. We see a lot of commercials now with a lot of different people, um, uh, and, and a lot of different backgrounds, but I'll tell you what I've never really seen on a commercial, a small fucking house. Can you think of the last time you saw like a really tiny house that like somebody <laughs> who is maybe making it, but like just barely getting by or even even maybe has more room, we don't know, but just lives in a in a in a house that isn't like super ultra You're talking like simply nice. being able to take just that next step as I'm opposed to about, the, the big I'm dream about, home. We with pretend, all the... Yeah, we pretend that everybody lives in these big houses in it and it's like and 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 if we just put you know, uh, uh, different colored people in, in those houses that, that we get, um, you know, uh, 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 somehow everything is cool. It's like, well, there's this whole facet of society that we're just not talking about, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and I don't know, man, I feel like if I go on too much about it, I'm going to start talking in circles. (laughs) At some point I'd like to talk about what's coming next because I have a lot of things on my plate. (laughs) Definitely. And I'm realizing time-wise too, it, um, I, I got to wrap actually pretty soon. You're good. Yeah. And, and I have certain guests who over time are no doubt are going to come back on. Um, but I think this is such a, a powerful conversation, uh, for people to hear and to understand. And I, I, I love what you're doing. I think that was, I, I don't even, I think maybe it was Eddie who, who connected me to you or something. Yeah, and I yeah, saw was, that yeah. song and I was like, Oh my God, we got to get you on here. Um, to what I'm going to do. I have two more questions for you. Yeah. Uh, these are, these could probably be a little more snippets and then we'll sure. end with like what you got coming up next and where Sounds people good. can find what you're doing. Uh, but the two questions, uh, the big ones for the podcast is the idea of living a great life, creating great things. And so I'm curious to you, if you had to define it, right now in your life, how would you define living a great life? Well, existence. I'd, I'd like to be able to exist. I'd like to be able to uh, raise this family that, that is that is almost here. Um, and and it's just, it's, it's all about love. There's two religions, right? Love and fear. So mm-hmm. I'd like to uh, belong to the former as much as possible. And 
uh, I, I don't love the idea of a system that requires us to, um, you know, make uh, acquire a bunch of capital in order to do mm -hmm. that. I don't like the fact that, you know, being self-employed and my partner is also self-employed, that no bank will talk to us, even if we have the money to buy a home. Um, uh, I think that my former neighbor, Warren Buffett, um, and I throw him under the bus because he's a great example because everybody talks about, oh, he's a normal guy. He lives in a regular house. Yeah, he does live in a regular house, but he's also got the money to end homelessness in America. He could literally... Right. <laughs> Feed, clothe, and house everybody in America that needed it to, today and still be one of the richest men on the planet. Um, I don't like living in a society that rewards people for just acquiring capital. Um, uh, I think there's a, a, a better way to do things. And I, and I don't think it's completely devoid of capitalism. Um, uh, I think that, you know, money is a better thing to trade than like, say, I have well, I've got three cows and you've got this other thing that I need and we have to figure out that some, yeah, I, I got to carry that, that shit all around with you. Yeah. It's, it's a good, it's a, it's a, without taking it to this extreme that our, that our society has taken it, it's a great thing. Um, but, but I think that we need, um, an economy that's based on our, um, resources on something real. Um, that being said, I, I, I would like to exist. I would like to keep doing a thing that that I know I was put on this planet to do, um, and and I would like to uh, love on my family and and raise them and uh, live in a world where, you know, maybe we don't have a pandemic. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> that would be but awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I love I, that that there's two religions, love and fear, and and living out of that. And I, I think with your just in this conversation, your thoughtfulness and your introspection, no doubt, is going to drive you down that right road, definitely. And and preparing to be a dad, I mean, that's huge, man. That's I have four well, I boys, so uh, so it's oh great. That man. journey is such a it's a cool journey, man. It's crazy as fuck too sometimes, but yeah. it's a cool journey. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and um, I think I think you know piggybacking off that introspectiveness uh, comment, you know, being able to admit when I'm wrong. You know, that's such a huge thing, I think, um, for people to be able to do, you know, if we can just admit when we fuck up, I think we'll be a lot better people. So I'll leave that's it at huge. that. I, and honestly, as a parent, I, my oldest is going to be 17, like a week, our youngest wow. is seven. So we've been on, you know, long journey with this. And honestly, that's a, a big piece. Uh, I think Bertrand Russell had, he has like these maxims that he puts out that I was reading through. He can be problematic on some levels too, but there's some good stuff in there, <laughs> but sure. it's, uh, there was something about like, I can't remember word for word, but talked about how hypocrisy cannot exist in good parenting. And it's like, like, and I took it to kind of talk about that. It's like, when you fuck up, be honest about it. And when mm -hmm. there's things like a lot of times we want to hide the things from our kids and yeah instead it's like this is what it is and this is what's happening and so yeah it's uh the last think, question uh yeah oh, go, go ahead. ahead yeah one i more was gonna say on. i think everybody's i think everybody's problematic if you look hard enough <laughs> you know that is so great <laughs> if we're if we're if we're looking for like a perfect savior jesus complex we're not gonna find it we're gonna find reasons why everything is problematic that. um but but yeah it's it's um moving towards the goal it's 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 Man. the journey it's not the end result 
Well, and that you bring up a good point, too, of just the climate that even politically that has been in the last four years or really longer. But it's like almost everyone's looking for that perfection. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that perfection or the savior complex. And to the point where like you I love that you just push back on that because I, I catch myself saying all the time where it's like, I don't agree with everything this person says. It's like, well, do we? Anyway, you know, it's a great yeah. question. Do you agree with everything that everyone you, says? Like, do you live in like, somebody else's head? Shit, do you agree right. with everything you say? I sure don't. Right. Like, yeah, I probably said some shit in the last podcast where I'm looking back, like, nah, I don't know. But yeah, if, if someone, you know, there's lines, if someone's a racist asshole, like, that's a whole different thing. But then there's a myriad of things that everyone can disagree on. But I, I'm digressing. The well, last the question, room, <laughs> you know, I'm going to piggyback off that because I feel like this is important. You know, as much as as much as we want to, you know, do away with racism, I think part of that is making room for people to admit that they were wrong. I don't know that it happens very yeah. often, but we have these generational divides and and we have we have I mean, so there has to be room for people to say, you know what, I said some fucked up shit. I believed some fucked up shit, and I'm learning, you know. Yeah. And and if somebody is headed in the right direction, it doesn't mean you have to be their friend. But I think we also have to be careful as a society to, yeah. I think we're seeing a lot of what happens, and it's not necessarily the people's fault that cast them out. You know, I think there's a lot of fucked up shit. But I think when somebody is 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 sort of cast out of society because of their beliefs or deplatformed because of it. And 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 again, I agree with deplatforming certain beliefs. I'm not saying anything else. It's a very convoluted statement. Right. But but there if there's no reconciliation there with somebody that's actually trying or if there's if 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 you're just excommunicated forever, well you see what happens, right? You get yeah. January 6th. You get people yeah. believing in wacky conspiracy theories. You get mm-hmm. Alex Joneses. You get, you know, Rush Limbaugh's. Um, yeah. And and people believing all that shit. And and I think there there has to be room for the exception, which is that you know what I believe some fucked up shit, and I'm working on it, and and, and that's I'm trying really hard. You speak. You're speaking to honestly a, a thing that I'm processing. I literally before this podcast I was processing with my wife when we got coffee sitting in the car because I used to be the person who thought gays were going to hell. I used to per- be mm. the person who thought white privilege didn't exist. I used to be the person who kept voting for Bush, even though all these, you know, all these different things. And it's like now I look back on that person I was. And I, like, if I met that person, I don't, it'd be hard to even hang out with me. And that's what I was saying is like, I'm trying to make peace with even my own past because it's like somewhere along the way, I started seeing that these things weren't true. These things weren't real. And, and it's like, there were people who were in my life who helped me see that and helped walk alongside and gave me grace during that time to become who I am now. And uh, no doubt grow in my ideals uh, in the future too. So yeah, I guess I I say all that to say I'm processing like how can I be that maybe for somebody else who I would almost cringe now at having those same ideas I had back then. <laughs> like how I think do you it's help really important. I think it's really important for you uh, having having um, you know that history to try to pinpoint what it was that got you thinking differently that got you thinking with more of an open mind um and and 
it's not that we can, you know, I'm not going to change the world by releasing fuck the OPD. You're not going to change the world by, um, you know, uh, 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 helping somebody who's in a similar situation that whose mind might be opening, but maybe isn't ready for, you know, uh, 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 who's in, in that journey, you know, right. Um, but you can affect the people in your life. And I mm -hmm. think that's the most important thing, uh, for regular Joes like ourselves, you know? Um, uh, that's so good, that's, man. I think that's really important. I love it. And so last question, how would you define, creating great things right now in your life? Well, we all going along with that antenna of creation, we all have a unique DNA in whatever we decide to do, whether it's insurance sales, or, you know, uh, writing music or creating art, or teaching. Um, we have to lean into that. It comes along with practicing our strengths, everybody wants to talk about, you know, especially a lot of times musicians who are on the path to greatness are trying to walk that path. They're like, okay, what am I deficient on? That's great. It's a great question to ask yourself. What are you strong at? What makes you, you, can you practice those things? Can you get deeper in that? You know? So, so that's what I really want to focus on is I want to keep, you know, creating depth at, um, you know, the things that I do and I want to get better at the things that I'm already, you know, that already make me, me. And I want to lean into who I really am. And I don't want to sound like anybody else. I might, but, but I don't, I'm not trying to sound like anybody else. When people ask me who my true influences are, it's a really hard question to answer. I mean, I have my elevator pitch. I'm somewhere between, uh, Jim James, Bill Withers and Pink Floyd, but that's not real. That's not real right. at all. Like it is real. It is. It's. It's. It's a surface level thing, though. I am me, and I'm just trying to be the best version of myself that I can every day in every facet of life. And kind of coming back to it, if I if I do some fucked up shit or say some fucked up shit, I want to own that and I want to grow from that. That's awesome, man. Well, let everyone know kind of what's next for you, and then how they can find what you've already done. Oh, I'll plug my pluggables. Um, so <laughs> I stole that from, uh, from Robert like Evans that. of behind the bastards. That's what he says. I'm going to have to steal episode. it from you then. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you can find me at andrewbaileymusic.com. Now you got to watch the spelling of Bailey. My, the, my last name is spelled B A I L I E. So there's three spellings of Bailey. There's the one that's like Bailey's Irish cream, B A I L E Y. There's the Scottish, which is B-A-I-L-L-I-E. And then there's like the Northern Irish, which is B-A-I-L-I-E. Full disclosure, that wasn't my last name at birth. Um, my my stepdad, who is my real dad, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people can relate, relate to that, adopted me and his name was Bailey. So uh, I'm, a, I'm an Eastern European Ashkenazi Jew with an Irish last name. Go figure. You know, I'm, a, I'm a mutt like everybody else. I right? love it. So, so it's that's the, America, the, baby. It's, it's andrewbaileymusic.com. And from there, you can find all of my socials. Um, I'm on, I'm kind of an old guy. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I have a Twitter that doesn't get used very much. Um, I'm not on TikTok. Um, I'm not on, I am on clubhouse, but I'm not on clubhouse. <laughs> if you know what I mean? <laughs> I, uh, you can find my, you. you can find my YouTube channel, uh, uh, from there. Um, and, and, and you can also look up my link tree where, where all of these are. Uh, actually, if you go to my Instagram at Andrew Bailey music, uh, you can, you can find the link tree there. 
Um, and you can check out everything that I'm doing. You, know, you can go to YouTube, subscribe to my channel. You'd be one of the first few dozen to do that. Um, and, uh, and you can watch Fuck the OPD and some other, I have some uh, uh, teaching tutorials up there. We're putting a masterclass together, hopefully before this baby arrives. So uh, look for that if you're interested. Um, we're going to be talking about songwriting. We're going to be talking about um, releasing music um, and what it takes to try to, you know, to get into those worlds. Um, and uh, I have I have a lot of music that's coming up. Uh, we're, we're shooting a, a video for uh, the next single, which is uh, called No Shame. We don't have a release date on that. Uh, but it will be out sometime soon. Uh, we're shooting that on uh, Tuesday. And I'm, I'm just very excited to keep producing videos, which is a relatively new thing for me, um, and and have a video uh, with every single that, that releases is kind of the goal. And, um, you know, I, I no longer have dreams of grandeur, you know, of fame and fortune. I just do this <laughs> because I don't think there's any other thing that I was put here to do other than um the things that i'm doing so uh i'll keep plugging along with that and you know whoever wants to come along for the ride is more than welcome boom i love it well thanks for making the time man it was awesome great insights thank you so much for having me uh looking forward to meeting you uh in real life post pandemic yes and i uh, can't wait to get back down to kansas city and play some with my friends including eddie moore we the people zach morrow um and 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 all of those guys so oh, yeah, uh, very excited and congrats for on that. the baby coming up man thank that's, you so much that's cool. that'll be a fun yeah we're, we're so excited <laughs> so we can't wait to meet our little girl but um anyway uh uh really really appreciate you having me on and i'm looking forward to listening to uh and, and diving in and kind of binging uh to, you yeah. know all the episodes so it'll be cool man it'll be cool thanks again and uh yeah thank you for listening to the live and create podcast if you like what you heard make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review the live and create podcast